because as soon as I introduced GIS into my classroom, I realized that there was so much I was missing. There was so much I didn't know. I couldn't teach everything. And it was really this collective learning that made me actually gain. Welcome to the Field Notes podcast. You just heard from Dr. Christine Wachta, architect and facilitator at the Savannah College of Art and Design. In this episode, Dr. Wachta guides us through her experience with GIS inside and outside of the classroom and discusses how her students use ArcGIS Quick Capture to capture data about the urban environment. Hello and welcome to the Field Notes podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things Esri Field Operations. Today, we are joined by Dr. Christine Wachta. Dr. Wachta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Demaya. Thank you for having me. We are very happy to have you on to talk with us today, and we have a lot of really great topics to discuss for this episode, but before we get into that, Dr. Wachta, could you tell our listeners about yourself, um, who you are, what you do, and what your background is? Thank you so much, Maya. Thank you, Josh, for this opportunity. Um, you know, it's been very difficult for me to really explain who I am because I find myself almost everywhere. But to make it in a short, um, I am a former professor, today a facilitator. That's what I call myself. So I have stepped down from the podium of a professor to become a facilitator. And I'm going to tell you why. Um, so because as a facilitator, I find that um, I use basically, you know, I actually uh, develop an environment in a classroom that actually create or grow knowledge, you know, or where, you know, area, the area is fertile for students actually to actually gather their knowledge. So it's really a way for me to actually, you know, um, coach the student rather than teach them, rather than profess, right? A facilitator is somebody who is not necessarily an expert, but who is expert in understanding how to actually engage a student or augment that student to do things better than me. My students are better than me, seriously. I learn more from them than they do from me. So as a professor, I felt that I had this weight of the world wanting me to tell them everything, which to me, it's basically fake the knowledge, you know, because you can only say what you have. So when I got into a facilitator enabling the student, I use my expertise to actually push that knowledge where I could never have been. So that's why I got into a facilitator's mode. I also think that I am a former printed book and seal closed, and I'm today a live digital archive. So it's meant that I basically gather the knowledge from my classroom and basically with the student through the collective intelligence, we create a wealth of knowledge good. That's really what I call it. To me, the wealth of knowledge good is really this type of wealth that is not, um, you know, that is not actually perishable. It doesn't perish. And the more we use it, actually, the more it's, um, it's actually gained values. So, those are the those are how I see myself, you know. And I'm a, I'm an educator, I'm an architect, designer, I'm a human. So of course, yeah. I love that. I love that idea of you know being a facilitator and and I I think the term you used was creating that knowledge good. It kind of levels the playing field, right, between you and your students and together you're working to to create that wealth of knowledge that you talked about. Um could you speak a little bit about 
um, the types of uh, topics that you and your, your students talk about, um, what conversations you facilitate? Well, really, you know, and, and this is this really happened at the stage of facilitator where I stepped down from this, you know, professorship, you know, and became human, meaning that I didn't know everything, meaning that the student came to me because they knew that I had more experience in a way that I could guide them to be better at everything and even better than me, you know. Uh, we have talked, and this is this really started with GIS. So really, my meeting with GIS is really where I shift from professor to facilitator because it was not possible. Because as soon as I introduced GIS into my classroom, I realized that there was so much I was missing. There was mm -hmm. so much I didn't know. I couldn't teach everything. And it was really this collective learning that made me actually gain. In fact, in one year of bringing the ESRI platform into my classroom, I learned more than I did in 14 years of teaching, honestly. And that was really the light bulb that went up on me. And I was like, you know what? I've been doing the wrong thing all, all over, you know? So going back to your question, question, Josh, what are the topics that we discuss everything, life? I believe that GIS is human language. And when I think GIS, I go back to my grandmother. And, you know, I remember I, I had the chance to live with my grandmother for a very while and learn her story. But uh, my experience with my grandmother was because I was a child that didn't want to go to school. So I hide around and she defended me. So I heard all of her story instead of going to school and she will make up story about to my dad about me being sick. So in that, in that, you know, I learned so much about that woman. And she told me about, you know, when she was little, they had a way of a language and I think that that's what GIS is for me so it was a language you know in Cameroon we have 208 dialects different so you go at one point you talk something else you walk 15 minutes you talk a different language how do you communicate but this woman used to go to all of the market and sell and trade and leave because they had some sort of a way of understanding language that was written in sign where somebody from a different tribe will read and it meant the same Thing. So there were no need for translation. So I think that to me, GIS is that human language because we look at it, we understand it in our view, in how it's mattered to us. Other people understand the same thing differently, but it's really the same thing, you know. So to me, if you human, you should have GIS. And my fight has been that it should go back down to the level of, you know, a primary education. But again, we talk about everything. We talk about crime, we talk about uh, feelings in the city, we talk about architecture, we talk about uh, land suitability, we talk about everything. We talk mostly about the fact that we should be careful about what we see because what we see is the result of what we don't see. And our eyes train I think our eyes are best, you know, our best um, uh, uh, element, I mean, the component of the body, but it's also the worst because it basically takes us away from searching, from questioning, because it's there. It's make it easy to just judge instead of understanding why it's there. So that's what we talk about. Yeah, that's amazing. There's so much that you've said al already that I find really amazing, really insightful. I think the first thing that stood out to me was that GIS as a human language. And I, I definitely yeah. also can see that because for me, 
GIS is a storytelling mechanism. Um, it's how stories are, are told. And like you said, it's a way to st tell stories across cultures, across countries, and kind of having that global language and that global awareness. So I definitely um, completely agree with that. And I think it's also interesting how GIS was the way in which um, you kind of grew like transition from that professor role into that facilitator role, because I think one major pillar of GIS is kind of data sharing, global knowledge sharing. So it makes sense that through GIS, you're kind of having that conversation with your students and kind of seeing that cross knowledge and that cross sharing. So I think that's really amazing as well. And I think too, you know, as uh, someone who's played an instrument all my life and, and has been in band and music, we often think of music as, you know, a similar kind of global language, a way that people connect and understand each other and, and see people for who they are and things for what they are, as opposed to that judgmental lens. So, so that really stood out to me as well. Yeah. And you also mentioned that you, um, you talk about a lot of different things with your students. I know you founded a nonprofit geo-edu-gaming that kind of was exists to um, promote access to GIS education. Could you kind of talk a little bit about what that nonprofit is and how that came about? Yes, yes. And, you know, I'm going to go back to my student again, because seriously, um, you know, when I start facilitating uh, this GIS into the architectural process, when my student realized that they have spent so much time measuring when we have the city data that we could bring in and focus on what we focus on, you know, if you look, you know, you will see that, and this has been the story for all architecture school, students go two, three days without sleeping. It's unhealthy, you know, and it's unnecessary. So I, I, I run a class of 10 weeks at SCAD where 10 weeks is really short, usually it's 16 weeks. In six weeks, we were done. My students were having parties out, you know, because we use GIS. But those students were basically spending three, four, five days without sleeping. And that is totally unhealthy. That is against human, you know, human basic, the essence of life, you know, that is beyond everything. And I have been at SCAD, I was at SCAD for a long time. And and few students die from a car accident coming back from school, you know, one death is enough to actually stop it, you know. So when I started, where did Jewish gaming started? I realized when I brought it into my classroom, and it was hard. The very first one was really hard because it's hard to tell the student, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but we will find it out. But I found out that the students were really appreciative of that. They took ownership. They went and checked and came and taught me. And we basically learned together. So when I, I had an exercise that was actually the urban emotion, the psychogeography, and I sent the student out. So this exercise is it's from, a, you know, it's from this uh, philosopher in France who was very powerful and who was very against, you know, this idea of basically consuming and consuming and this idea of, you know, a publicity all over the street where he said, we are stealing our life off the street, you know, we are basically putting movies in movie theater and taking our money away to go buy. So we're stealing ourselves to go buy something that we had in the street already, thinking that we have to live the life, we have to experience the city, we have to have that relation, we have to hear feel, smell, understand the, the, the soul of a place, which we really do not because we're now just running fast and very, you know, uh, you know, not doing what we should be doing. So with my student, I decided to send them out in Savannah. And I say, as designer, I want you, and I did this, this was really tricky. I'd send them out 
because I had all of the data about the crime about everywhere, I just wanted to know because most of the time we actually act or react based on what we what we hear, not based on what it is, you know. And I wanted to test that assignment. I send them out and I say they are issue. I don't know what project we're gonna have. We thought it's never possible for a professor to walk in and say I don't have a project, you know. It's not a restaurant. I don't have a site. I have nothing. Well, what do you have? I say well, just go out on the side and tell me what's going on. Where? Well, you pick us, I don't know, just pick where you want to work. And I told them, I want you to annotate and take picture if you feel good, if you feel attracted. There will be some area in the city that will pull you in, some that will push you out. Think about it. I say, you don't need to plan. It's not a troll, the stroll because you have a destination. You have no destination. Let the city guide you. Let the field guide you. So my students all went out and the, the, the response was amazing. Like they went back and went back different time and they basically just start looking and they will actually note when they were walking too fast, when they were not walking too fast, when they feel, felt fearful and not. So when they came to the classroom and they were so proud of their finding and so sure that they had it right and so sure that this area is scary, this one is not, I basically look at all of the student work and I told them, okay, now I have the data about your site, you know. So if somebody was talking about safety, I said, I gave them safety. I gave safety to everybody. I gave them, you know, uh, green infrastructure, I get done a lot of data. When they start basically looking at their data, they realize that there was such a disparity in this data because how they felt, they felt like, you know, some area that where they thought were safe were the most unsafe. That's where they raped people a lot in Savannah. And they start looking at area that they thought was scary. They were nothing happening there. It was just that it wasn't designed well. And they start thinking, oh, you know, and we, and then I start looking at, you know, we start looking at where we find that uh, we look at the light in Savannah. We say, maybe you need to put the light over the rape. And they start seeing some things coming out. For instance, that some area, you know, when we put the light and then actually took the lead light they saw that the crime was avoiding the lead light i said do you see an issue that so it was a physical and design issue and this was also a way for me to make sure that they understand that we have feeling those are great but we cannot use our feeling or what we believe in to design for people we need to look at the fact we need to add those things we need to go out and find out why we're sp spending more time here and why we're being pushed out there and basically that really got them into going back and going back. So it looked to me like a game. So they used, they wanted to go back and to go back and bring things. Professor, I found this, look at this. And they start basically crossing data in a way that I didn't even expect it. And to me, I look at it as a game, you know, they were basically kind of developing. In fact, the way they were doing the design process was using the mechanism of games, right? They were setting rules, they were deciding, they were going other. It was amazing. They started even talking to people and found out so many things and that really shifted the whole thing. And to me, I wow. saw in that how they brought all they brought all the software that I didn't even know. I say bring whatever they brought and we figure out how to put it into S3 and it worked, you know. Yeah. To me, it was just like the geo-age gaming. It's like get the kid to bring what they know, teach you, and let push this forward. And that was how geo-age gaming came about. Wow. Uh first of all, I want to take your class. Exactly. Like I want to be in the class. I want to be doing this. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, uh, having grown up in South Georgia and Demaya, you grew up in Georgia too. I mean, Savannah is just such a wonderful place. And, and to talk about the soul of the city too, to, yeah. to be able to go out and explore those places. Yeah. And, but not just the, the uh, places that are perceived to be like 
a nice part of Savannah, but you yeah. know, it's, it's looking at where can there be improvements? And I think that mm-hmm. that really highlights the importance of like having people actually out walking around in the city, talking to people, understanding yeah. why things are the way they are, not just why we think things are the way they are. I think from an education standpoint also, I think it's really incredible that you allowed your students to kind of have that open learning atmosphere where they weren't being told what to do, but were allowed to kind of discover things on their own. And I feel like you can discover so many new insights that you wouldn't be able to when you're kind of given that platform and that atmosphere and that environment to do that. So that's really incredible. Um, I think it also speaks to the importance of kind of providing kind of diverse avenues of, of learning and, and teaching and things like that. Um, again, so you can, their students can kind of discover things on their own, um, discover new insights. What technologies were you guys using to kind of do the um, collections in the field or, or to like record what you were seeing and things like that? So we started, and this is basically how my business has developed as well. Um, at first, I told my, you know, I was, you know, I am a workout freak. I love to do a lot of app, you know, that are counting my step and all of those things. And those apps were doing amazing things. So basically, I told them, you go out, use any app, because I was basically trying to track the best app. I didn't give them an app. I said, I'm using this one, but I want everybody to find a different one so that we could see the one that worked best. Yeah. They start capturing it, and we just brought it into GIS, you know, and they were just like amazed that we could just track your path and then we could put it in GIS. So that's how we started. And when we start doing that, I start testing some app on Esri and so survey one, two, three was fun, but it was boring to me. I mean, I need something a little more exciting, right? And and then I stumble upon like the, 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 this lately, you know, over, uh, over the, um, a quick capture and I'm like oh my god this is what I wanted to use with my student so I basically developed that base on that because quick capture the beauty of it is that it has all of the collection tool that other have but it also have the user interface that you could design yourself and that was the, the selling point to yeah. me because it was allowing me to tell the people well I'm creating this app but this is just a shell you develop what you want because I don't want anybody to go and use like you know the street the bus stop I mean at the middle of Africa they might be not bus stop you know so why am I asking you bus stop somebody might need to go and use the smell because you have dogs that are walking you have you know cows you have everything it's a different environment so let's make sure that people actually feel like the ownership of designing who they are what they do and that was really you know the idea of mixing that together so yeah Nice. And I think that kind of like wraps back around to the idea that GIS kind of provides you the space to develop and put your own voice into the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also when you talked about like the the app being a shell and students being able to kind of add in whatever they wanted, really also speaks to kind of like the beauty of mobile GIS to provide that that environment as well to kind of customize it to your workflows, Mm -hmm. to the things that you're doing, to your environment, wherever you are working in the world. So I think that's really incredible. And, and I also really think, and this is just my personal, because really, you know, I could talk to you about what GIS has done or what I can do with it based on what we all know, but it really changed me at a personal level, you know, at an individual, intimate and personal level also, because one of the things, and this really comes back to, this is where, you know, uh, I want to talk about, you know, how GIS and education could actually be fused to work together. And that's basically what I am out basically advocating, right? Because I think that 
I, I have two kids. I've watched my kid grow, right? And from age zero to age four, they are totally, you know, their, their thinking is out of the hook, like amazing. They see everything. So I have my little boy. Sometimes I will get, get into a room and take everything up and say, she cannot mess anything. Five minutes later, I was screaming like, oh my God, he found something. <laughs> like he will be basically putting things, his hand into the plug. Like I said, oh, there's nothing he could mess with. He finds something. So it was just like, and they are so creative at that yeah. age. They're spatially connected. They hold out. Nobody says it's dirty. Oh, don't do that. They do it because they're part of that. They go into the tree, they see a, see a whole new world. I think it's because we are all born spatially connected. But then when we start kindergarten, we actually start separating ourselves, you know, through the formal education that give us homework and say, this is wrong, this is right. We start basically, you know, being brainwashed with, and I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, Formal education is great, it's fantastic. It's just not great if it doesn't incorporate spatial education because we are spatially connected. Mm -hmm. And if a spatial person get out of space to get into formal, which is basically a paved road already done and just following it, we are missing out on that speciality. And then all of a sudden at 18, we have students saying, oh, you need to be artists, you need... No, if we actually you know, help them from the beginning and add those two together. By the age of 10, they'll be inventors, right? We will need to bring special education. And one thing that I find very um, amazing in GIS is that for the first time when I did my first analysis, you know, to me, it, it brought personal things out of me, you know, that I had shoveled. You have to understand, I was born in Cameroon in a country that was, you know, um, how do you say, uh, colonized by France, right? I went to school in Catholic school. My dad was very Catholic. My grandmother didn't care about anything. And I spent more time with my grandmother, right? So I know her story and the story of who I am. But then I go to school learning from other people telling me who I was, right? And that mm. story made more sense. It was cleaner. It was more beautiful. I learned about architecture from the France and all of those, but I refused the architecture from where I was, you know, mm -hmm. and then I went through my education and finally wouldn't, I wasn't happy until I found GIS. And when I started doing my first analysis, the fact, the thing that really impressed me was the fact that you have commonality, you have like a general thing that you see about everything, you know, the, the tendency, and you have those odd points that are the strongest point. And at that point, I was like, this was my strongest point. We all have that. We're all different. But we live in this world that put us into education where we're looking for A grade, uh, for, you know, GPA that is for whatever. We're all looking for one thing, but we're not all the same. What we're missing is asking me, who am I? Because maybe I work better at this bottom and I basically connect better with you at that top. So when we start, and I felt like, you know, to me, the story that came back was the story with my grandmother. I knew who I was. I suppressed it to enter the school to learn who I was supposed to be. And that carried through me all my life. And I was never happy until I was able to say, oh, no, this was who I was then. And I realized that through my life, you know, in Cameroon, <clears throat> When I left Cameroon, Africa, I really didn't think much of it because I wanted to forget it because there was nothing about it that I wanted because I didn't learn anything about it. I went to France, still didn't find the size of shoes to my foot, <laughs> went to America, I could have gone to China, I was still not happy. But then GIS showed me that the biggest piece of puzzle was in Cameroon and the day I accepted it, the day I decided that that my the uncanny me or the part of me that society didn't 
necessarily understand was the one I needed to push out because mm -hmm. I belong to this society and that difference is what will augment other. That's where I find myself. And that's where I become, you know, I wish I would have gotten into GIS before, but you know, it's never too late to do what, right? Exactly, exactly. It's all a path. And well, you, your story is amazing. And I, to be honest, when I was researching this episode, I was listening to a lot of your um, past presentations. And one thing that you said that I think really kind of relates to this is that GIS, um, with GIS, you are in charge. Yeah. You are in charge of your own story and you are in charge of kind of learning about yourself and the world. And I think that is true. I think it's really beautiful. And I think really exemplifies what you said about your own story, kind of gives you the ability to kind of not reject what you've learned, but also kind of augment and kind of bring in your own personal experience and learn about yourself in a way that you probably weren't able to in like in a formal education environment. So beautiful. Yes. I love that. And, and even more so like a part of like taking charge of your own story, you know, with this thing, right. Your phone going yes. out and collecting data, you can, exactly. you can kind of, you can influence that story wherever you are and you can influence change and you can, yes. and you can help make progress. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that, you know, I think that really it has, you know, the world has changed, you know, the face of the world has changed because of that empowerment of everybody, you know, it's really like I matter, the me matter. And that's really something that I'm trying to bring into design education. If we're designing for community, let the community tell us how they feel. Mm -hmm. Design doesn't end the day we finish it. It's lived throughout, you know, and we need to learn from our mistakes, right? So... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Wakta, I unfortunately, I think that's all the time we have for today. But thank you so much for joining us in conversation. Thank you for sharing your, your story, both with education and your personal story, too. It's, it's really been a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure being part of this. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, you can check out the Learn Lesson that Dr. Wakta wrote. It's called Capture Emotions in the Urban Environment, and you can find that on the Learn ArcGIS website, and we'll also include a link in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Field Notes podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to Field Notes on your favorite podcast app and join us on the next episode.